Good morning, everyone. As Matt said before, we're in part three of this series. So if you feel like you're walking halfway through a movie, then I would encourage you to jump on YouTube and watch the previous two episodes. Check out MCC TV One. But today we are talking about promise and we are talking about the promise of Christmas. And who's excited about that? Cool. Now, I've got a question for you. Do you find it difficult to read the Bible, especially around this kind of like um, promisey stuff? You know, if you're new to reading the Bible, then reading an Old Testament prophecy like Isaiah 9, 6, which is what we've been going through, and trying to understand if it applies to me or how it applies to me, it can be quite difficult to understand. Now, if you're in spirit, in spirit, if you are experienced in it, <laughs> excuse me, then today will be a great refresher. But today we're going to be talking about the promise of Christmas, specifically Isaiah 9, 6, and which is the foretelling of the coming of King Jesus. So how do we understand or appropriate a prophecy, right? Now in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is talking about, sorry, he's talking to the Gentile church and he's talking about those ones who kind of like started their relationship through Jesus. They didn't know God like the Jewish or the Israel did, but they were coming in on the back of knowing Jesus. And Peter explains the role of a prophecy and what we believe in, which is what our faith is. So he explains that a prophecy includes a promise, right? So let's pick it up from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And Peter says, here's, he's talking about Jesus. He says, his divine power, and Julie talked about power, has given us everything we need. He, Jesus, has given us this very great and precious promises. So that through them we may, now check out this, we may participate in the divine nature of Jesus. So this is what my goal for you today is. My goal for you today is that you would allow and accept and believe that Jesus' divine power has given you everything you need. That through the names of Jesus, you would know that he has given you his very great and precious promises and that through them, you may participate in the divine nature of Jesus. So Peter says somehow we can participate, we can share, we can take part in this nature of Jesus. Now this phrase, participating in the nature, divine nature, has two things. Number one, it's receiving Jesus as he came to be for us. And that's all about what Christmas is about. And it's also the second thing is becoming like Jesus to which Peter then encourages us to do in verses 5 to 11. But jumping to verse 12, he says, I will always remind you of these things, that you have everything you need. You have these promises, these things which will establish you in your faith. You have Jesus, right? He'll always remind us of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth which you now have. And verse 15 says, and I will make every effort. Hey, guys, this is really important. I'm going to make every effort after my departure. This is Peter saying it to always be able for, so that you will always be able to remember these faith holding things. Okay. So then he goes on to explain faith in Jesus is not believing in something fake. In verse 16, he says, for we do not follow cleverly devised stories, not just fake stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. When we're talking about Isaiah's prophecy, we didn't just follow the stories, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, actually, I was there 
I saw Jesus in person. And so he, in verse 17 says, he received honor and glory from God the Father, that Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came from him and it said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice, right, that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. So even though we saw it and heard it, there's actually more to anchor our faith in, guys. In verse 19, he says, we also have, now check out this, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. It's a promise. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, which is exactly what Jesus came to be. So Peter's advice is pay attention to what I saw, to God's word and to prophetic messages when you are trying to work out who Jesus is. Okay? He's saying pay attention to Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of everything we need and he is the supply of great and precious promises of our life, right? So what is the promise of Christmas? You know, Isaiah prophesied it, right? With God as his guide, Isaiah foretold what this promise is. So in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Israel, or Judah, before the Babylonian captivity, right? So the Babylonian captivity, you might ask what that is. It's a period of time at about 579 BC, okay, when Israel fell to Nebuchadnezzar. And at this time, Solomon's temple, like the worship place of God where people gathered, was sacked and the Jews were enslaved and taken into Babylon. Could you imagine how terrible that would be for these people? So this situation, they needed a saviour, okay? Now, if you do a quick Google map search of uh, between Israel and what is Baghdad in Iraq now, or which was Babylon, very close to, um, you know, back then, that says that it takes 245 hours to walk from Israel to Babylon. Now, could, that's without a break, right? 245 hours. So it obviously would have taken a heck of a lot longer, right? This is 1,040 kilometers through rough terrain for weeks and weeks. So you can imagine how, like, um, like depressing and just downhearted this would be. You're now basically a slave to someone else. What's worse, they remained there until BC uh, 539. They remained there as slaves and they were taken out of their homes. Could you imagine what it would be like to take it out of your own homes, right, to be in a foreign country? So at all this time, these people were sitting on this promise, this hope that Isaiah spoke, right? And so Isaiah's prophecy of a son will be born to us would have been, you know, the whole, the government is upon his shoulders thing. And they're like holding on to this thing. This son's going to come. This government is going to be on his shoulder thing. And so Jesus's names, what we're about to go through today, actually reveal the kind of ruler or the kind of government that we need, that Israel needed, but also that we need. And so I believe these names in which God gave through Isaiah, reflect the quality and character in which we would want our king, we would want our authority or our government to be. And that is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. So, but just like the Israelites, we can easily, us here in Australia today, can easily immediately want an immediate remedy, a quick fix to our physical 
and to our political problems, you know? And so all these years later in 2021, Jesus is still the answer, isn't he? And so he is the answer to all our needs, right? So Jesus, like the Israelites, um, is the answer. And it may not be what we think it looks like. I don't think that when they were looking for that government and that hope, they, they pictured Jesus and everything that Jesus did, right? And so, you know, and, and similar in Australia, like, you know, that's kind of like that whole thing that sometimes we want that quick fix. We want that what I call the RACV relationship. And that's where we call for a quick fix. And then once they've fixed our car, we wave goodbye and we say, hey, you know what? Unless I had get an emergency again, I don't really need you. Right? That's the kind of thing. But, you know, God doesn't always work that way. God wants to be in relationship with us. This is way more than just a quick fix thing, right? And so that's the nature of the names of Jesus. And so this Christmas, God sent you Jesus. So let's look at these names that Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah says, he will be called, right? Now that name called, that, that, that word called, it's like, you know, us as Christians, we say, well, I'm called to... You know, I'm called to be the guy up the back and help out with sound. You know what I mean? So it's actually kind of like referring a little bit to like his purpose. He's called to do this thing. So Isaiah says he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, that Isaiah calls the Messiah Wonderful Counselor indicates the kind of character that this coming king would have. Okay? The word wonderful in this passage means incomprehensible. Okay, the Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder in a good way. Okay, the world is, you know, that word is much weightier than the way we use it in our normal conversation today, and especially at Christmas time. You know, we say things like, Oh, isn't he wonderful? You know, and what we mean is, Oh, cute or shiny, or that baby's quite young, and you know, that kind of thing. But that's actually not what the wonderful means in this context. You see, Jesus is our wonderful counsellor, okay? Our exceptional and righteous advocate who guides and directs us correctly and wisely each time we come to him for help. Now, believers are actually blessed, believers in Jesus are blessed with the counsel of the Holy Spirit sent by God himself to live with us and in us forever and ever. Now, his counsel is filled with love and wisdom. You know, it was said that John was actually the one who was closest to Jesus, kind of like spent the most time with Jesus and knew him the best, okay? Now, some of the other Gospels were written shortly after Jesus died, so they were quite factual in nature. But John's, the way he writes, it's a lot more reflective. He adds some narrative in there because, you know, some years passed before he wrote it. And... Um, so with his interactions with people, um, John kind of says that he supernaturally knew the hearts and minds of man. Now in John 2, 24 to 25, John says he knew all people, not just some, he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind. He didn't need to hey, say, hey, can someone tell me the background of this person so I can kind of like work out what's going on and, you know, that kind of stuff. He knew what was in the hearts and minds of each person. Now, the truth is our wonderful counsellor knows the intimate details about you. Think about that for a moment. He knows how you feel, but more importantly, he knows just what you need. Even if that thing which you need is not the thing which you thought you needed. 
Because we often say, hey, if I just won the lotto, right? But Jesus knows that, well, actually, if you won the lotto, your path would get, your life would go down this path and it probably would lead to destruction. So as humans, we find ourselves in a difficult places at times. Sometimes it's of our own doing, sometimes not, right? Our relationships can become unhealthy and sometimes we need a counsellor. Now, the idea of going to a counsellor is a bit like, ugh, the thoughts of uncovering pain and having to do, who likes the idea of going to a counsellor? Anyone? Right. So no one likes that. But a wonderful counsellor is not like that. You see, he is not forceful, but he is invitational and he is empowering. He is real and he is, and at the same time, he is gracious. He tells the truth and grace. John 1.14 says, the word Jesus became flesh. In other words, Jesus actually came to earth, right? And was dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son of God who came from the father, full of grace and truth, right? So I found personally that when I let him be my counselor and take control, that when I look back on my life, I found that he has been a wonderful counselor. And I encourage you to invite him to do that as well. You know, we can trust in him to listen to our problems and guide us in the right direction. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, Anna talked about it in the video, I think it was a week or two ago. Um, trust in the Lord with all your ways and he shall direct your path. We can trust in the Lord and he will guide us. What a wonderful counselor. Not only that, God invites us to ask him to help us with our problems. You know, we can be sure that he's listening because he told us to pray to him about our worries. And when we do, he cares. He cares. He is always present and he's always listening. Paul explains how. He says in 4 Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, you know, you're thinking to yourself, but what if I need a new job? What if uh, I need to make a really big decision? Um, what if I stuffed up with mum or dad? Right? In every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving to God, present your request to God, okay? In other words, God invites you to ask him to help in the place of worry and anxiety. What a wonderful counsellor. Now, the second name of God is Mighty God, the second name of Jesus, right? Now, Mighty is translated the Hebrew word, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but Gibor. Okay, that's what the mighty, that, that word is. And it's kind of like defined as strength, power, hero, or warrior, right? Now, with this kind of like warrior, with his strength and his power, we start to see that this Hebrew metaphor also lends itself to the nature of Jesus again. So that's being, he's our savior, he has courage, he's self-sacrificing, and he has moral excellence. Jesus is our mighty God, Right? He is God himself who can do the impossible and the unimaginable. Jesus has the power to save, to heal, to resurrect and redeem. He is the mighty one who can silence the waters, move mountains, and he is able, everyone say he's able, to do the miraculous according to his goodwill for us. And he does will good things for you. Now, did you know that Hundreds of years earlier, right, Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. 
and they were walking between these kind of like walls of water. Now, I could just imagine that as they were walking between these walls of water, you know, maybe a little kid said, who's, do- who's doing this? Who's holding these, these, this water up? And, you know, maybe someone put their hand up and responded and said, mighty God, right? Now, fast forward thousands of years later, and Jesus comes a furious storm. It's in Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when his disciples, his disciples are the ones who've been walking and following and knowing about him and all that kind of stuff. When his disciples saw this miracle, these men were amazed, right? Have you ever been in a bad storm? We had one recently in Melbourne, you know, and then be in a boat on the ocean in a bad storm, right? So they were absolutely amazed. And, you know, they asked the question, what kind of manner of man, right, is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. And the answer is in his name. He is mighty God. How cool is this? And then it probably suddenly clicked for these disciples, right? These men had heard the stories growing up and they knew that God was a water controller way back, you know, with their forefathers. And now here in front of them, here was Jesus and he was the mighty God. So you can see the promise and the prophecy becoming real in flesh. Now, in Luke 7, 11 to 17, there was this passionate, dramatic scene. A widow's son dies. Could you imagine all your mothers out there? Miraculously, Jesus resurrects this son from death. And in verse 16, we can see the response of those who were around, who were, you know, at that time. And it says, they were filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet, they said, has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. In other words, they could see that Jesus was mighty God and in his nature as mighty God, he is there to help those who he loves. So here's the thing. When Jesus was performing miracles and healing the sick, he was making it abundantly clear that the powers of nature are still under his control. And so the agent of creation, if you think about John 1, is also the Lord of creation. He fashioned and created all things and is able to rule over them. And in doing these things, he was demonstrating his nature and identity as of his person, mighty God. See, these miracles of Jesus point to the glorious mighty God. You know, John summarizes it in the end of his book and he says this in John 20, 21. He says, Jesus performed many other signs, the ones that we didn't document here, many other miracles in the presence of his disciples, right? And they're not written in this book, but these ones that we have written here are written so that you may believe and that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I invite you to do the same thing this morning. Now, you might say, Tim, I haven't seen Jesus come any storm for me. You know, you might say, Tim, uh, I've had a few storms lately and not much is changing. But if you are in need of mighty God, then this Christmas, I would encourage you to believe in who Jesus is and invite him to be mighty God in your life. I'm telling you, there is no obstacle in your life too big for him to move. And there is no disease that's too hard for him to heal. And there is no sin that's too big for him to forgive. He is the mighty God and he is more than able to come into your life and be mighty God and he does it for your good. 
Now, the third title that Isaiah talked about is Everlasting Father. And it can seem a little bit confusing here because earlier on in the verse, it says, hey, a son was born and now his father. Well, you know, what's the deal with that? Here's the deal. When it comes to the name of Everlasting Father, the thing which we need to understand is this. Jesus is the king who treats his children more like children than his subjects. Okay? Let me kind of just repeat that. Jesus will not treat us like we are a slave or a pawn on a chessboard. Okay? And in this, it's kind of like so important and, you know, so significant because it creates a picture which separates Jesus God from all the other gods, right? Jesus would sacrifice himself for the good of his family, whereas other gods would sacrifice their subjects for the good of themselves. You know, he would go out to the highways and the byways if you were lost, Jesus would. Jesus would treat us like his precious, valuable son or daughter in whom he cares for, right? And that includes things like he provides for us, he gives us comfort, and he will protect us, and he loves us. He is more like a father to his children than a king to his subjects, right? Now, a good king might treat his subjects well, but a father's love will outshine a king's love. Who knows that? Yeah, thanks, Pete. <laughs> you know, because a father's love's more invested, isn't it? It seeks out the good of the son or daughter, even if this includes things like the discipline of the ones he loves. And Jesus' discipline, you know, it's, it's, he's looking to lead us to a place that's a healthier and better place. Why? Because he is the everlasting father. He wants us to thrive and succeed and not to fall into the plans of the enemy. But it gets better. Jesus is everlasting father. And this word everlasting, the first part of that, it's not referring to the internal nature of Jesus' being, but rather it's talking about the never-ending nature of his care. He is father forever. He will not abandon his children. You know, once we've been adopted into his family, we don't have to fear that he will leave us. He will never throw us out and he'll never abandon us. And it's in his nature that he will never renege on his promises because he is the everlasting father, okay? So how do we enter into this relationship where Jesus is our everlasting father? Again, John, who walked and talked with Jesus, he said this in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, we're talking about the names, he gave the right or the entitlement to become children of God. Believed, received. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you receive him as Lord and Savior and choose to trust him and love him, then I say today is the day that he can take the place in your life as everlasting father. But before we get to that, let's talk about the last name of Jesus. The fourth name is Prince of Peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. How is that? He came into the world filled with darkness and tribulation to govern righteously and justly. That's what he came to do. And he overcame the world by dying on the cross to give us salvation and eternal life, right? So this is why we set the Christmas theme name as Passionate Peace. 
It was a completely and amazingly passionate act. Sometimes when we think about Christmas, we think of carols by candlelight and, you know, close-up pictures of, you know, things like cute babies and stuff like that. But Jesus' entry into this world was passionate. It was among chaos. And God's ultimate plan for Jesus was to endure a horrific crucifixion um, that would... um, you know, so that we can have peace with God. That's why he did it, right? So here's the good news for you this Christmas. Throughout what the, our Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. That is, God no longer is at a distance from us, but we are accepted and redeemed. We are called sons and daughters of God and our peace on earth is not founded in money or status or anything like that. It's in knowing and believing that our victory and sin over death, our victory over sin and death lies in Jesus. And it's a real relationship with Father God. So how? Here's how. You see, what happened was in the beginning, a long time ago when Adam sinned, sin kind of like entered the world. And it was as if we all sinned, right? And this sin kind of like lived inside of us. And, you know, you see a new baby when they're they're born to this world, they're quite innocent. But maybe when they get to like two years old, you start to see it come out a bit, right? And it's like, what got into the boy? What happened? And the thing which happened was sin. That's what got into, you know. And so this sin caused a kind of like a separation, right, between humanity and God. And... Off the back of sin is death. And you might have seen that in your finances. You might have seen that in your relationships. You might have seen that in you know, some decisions you've made that something dies off the back of sin. And so you know, our lives, both in this world and for all eternity, were without peace. So God had to do something, right? He loved us, but there was this separation. You know, You might have felt it. Instead of peace, it's like there's this constant war going on inside and with those around us. It's like constantly arguing and, you know, disunity and selfishness, greed, jealousy, you know, lying, stealing, these kind of things like abuse, you know, dishonoring. It's that ugly side of us which needs redeeming. So what did God do? Again, John, the one who wrote in a reflective nature, Later in his years, he describes it so well. He says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God did about it, and that is passionate. Giving your own son. Isaiah foretold it. Jesus, our source of peace, was the son who was given to us to change this terrible situation, right? to pay the price for our sin on the cross. Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. They call it a great exchange. And so through faith in him, we are at peace with ourselves and with God. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the ultimate demonstration of passionate love and eternal peace. So I'm going to start to kind of close now and, you know, as 
what, what I'd just like to say is that how do we respond to all this? How do we respond to all this, these names, this nature of Jesus? You know, we praise God. We've been doing it this morning. We praise God that in his kindness, he gave us Jesus to be all that we need. We accept him for who he is and we allow him to be, no, more than that, we actively place him as the wonderful counsellor, as the mighty God, as the everlasting father and as the prince of peace in our lives. So my goal for you today was that you would allow and accept and believe that Jesus, his divine power has given you everything you need. Remember I said that? That you would know through the names of Jesus that he has given you this very great and precious promise and that through them you might participate in the divine nature of Jesus. Isaiah 9.7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Every day as we receive Jesus for who he is, our lives increase. Our lives are forever increased in the blessings and benefits of someone who has received and believed that Jesus is who Isaiah says he is. So as we allow his government, right, to govern us, as we follow him and what he taught us, then we will be ever increasing new levels of peace in our life. So I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond, okay? I'm going to give us an opportunity to invite Jesus into that place in your life. To declare that you believe. An opportunity, whether you're online or whether you're in the room, to receive him into your heart. Now this might be the first time that you have made this decision, or maybe you've made it before. And what we've been talking about has maybe uncovered a nature of Jesus that you haven't really placed him as the Lord of your life. So today, I want to invite you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to take that first step in doing so. We're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Let's pray. Everyone in the room or online, you want to close your eyes and bow your heads. Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, you came to earth to be our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace, our mighty God, our everlasting father. And I choose to allow you to be that in me. I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. And I invite you into my heart. I place you as Lord and Savior. I thank you for your free gift of forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, cool. So <clears throat> we're just going to, the media team would just like to put up, we're just going to, if you all put your eyes to the screen, if you're in the room or if you're online, just keep watching. <laughs>